We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to US News and World Report, we're the 25th top paying career. Make an impact as a fact seeker and a truth teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you. Welcome to Screen Talk, a New Wires Weekly Podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the Executive Editor and Chief Critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson, our editor at large. And Ann, when we spoke last week, New York Film Festival was about to kick off and we were anticipating buzz around the Irishman. I just want everyone to know I spent seven hours last Friday watching this movie twice and I don't regret it at all. I had a blast. It's really, really entertaining for a three and a half hour movie. It's incredibly satisfying and I, and I can't wait to see how it continues to have a life this fall. Really I'm just satisfying. curious to know why you wanted to see it twice. Well, so my, my ritual at New York Film Festival has been for years, the P&I screening in the morning and then I decide whether or not to go as a date movie with my wife in the evening, whether or not it's worth it. If the movie's good enough, We'll go again. Three and a half movies sounded like kind of a, a difficult proposition, but I have to say, I mean, it just moves along really well. It's oh, a yeah, fairly, it you know, it definitely a- does. I have to tell you though, Eric, I sat through it at the Netflix uh, screening room, which is the good one in in LA, and it was super intense. And I didn't move, and I didn't leave, and I I, I was totally in there and loved it. And cannot imagine sitting through it again though. Just well, I had for time one in reason. Between. I'll tell you why. It's because it hurts my back. That's the only reason. Okay, well, I don't know. I mean, my back's doing. You're okay, younger than I, I am. <laughs> but but I will say that I've talked to people throughout this week who are excited to see that movie and they want to go see it in theaters. They and should. the 28 days it's going to have, it's going to be really fascinating to see what kind of a life it has. No, there's respect. a lot of conversations around this because um, this is one of those things where you could imagine a lot of people wanting to see it in a theater and you can imagine a lot of people wanting to see it at home and it will play really well in both places in this particular case. I'm actually really curious to see how many people, um, you know, from a data standpoint, if Netflix was willing to open the hood, which I'm sure they won't, how many people actually sit through this movie, fast forward, whatever. I know, honestly, pizza, you know, answer the door, take a phone call, look at their media devices. I hope not because it's, I, it's entirely enthralling. Yeah, and, I, and Jane Rosenthal, she had some red carpet quote that, that I think really messed with expectations on this movie. She called it a slower Scorsese film. Honestly, I didn't think it was slow because the, the way that it moves through time, exploring this character, Frank Sheeran, and the friendship he has with Jimmy Hoffa and how that sort of dovetails throughout American history over the course of you know a couple of decades, it, it moves at a, at, a, at a good clip. It, it I don't does think move at a good clip. I would say, though, that uh, probably what she means is that it doesn't have the kind of manic intensity that Goodfellas had. It's a much more contemplative, older person's movie, and it's framed with Robert De Niro as the older character looking back. So A, you know he survives, and B, He's, it's from his point of view, really, the story that is being being told and flashing back. And there's one point where um, the first flashback, you kind of have to accept the VFX, the fact that he's de-aged. You have it doesn't to quite work at first. With it. At the yeah, beginning, it doesn't, you are conscious of it. Then you forget it. You, the storytelling takes over. And because I'm like looking at it like a hawk, 
there are places where you see that Al Pacino, who is fantastic as Hoffa, is and has so much energy and so much brio, you know, there's parts where you see his stooped back. And there's parts with De Niro where you're sort of looking at it and going, is he... Did they did they do something to his body as well? well you know, there's a, there's a and, and he was on on uh, wearing wearing shoes that that had a lift to them and stuff. But the thing is, Hoffa's character when he enters the story is already at a relatively advanced age, so that didn't bug me as much. I think the thing with De Niro, and this was pointed out to me by people who hadn't seen the movie in just the stills, is the most jarring thing is not necessarily the de aging as much as it is that. When he's de-aged, he doesn't look like the way De Niro did when he was making movies back then. He looks like he has a wider frame and stuff, but the character is it's a bigger guy. It's the body guy. that's different. It's the body that holds. Even though he's in great shape, God knows he's in great shape. There, there, you know, there's just a way that that you move. And he talked to me about that at one point. Um, you know, he, he, when you're running down the stairs. Uh, you have to you have to run like a younger man, and I love that thing. Anybody can watch this on on video uh, from the New York Film Festival Q and A. I love I love that part where Al Pacino says, "He told me I had to jump out of the chair like a forty nine year old man." You know, I love you know, that. He kind of does, honestly. I mean, I, I, ultimately, for all the anticipation around the de aging thing being uh, problematic, it's it not- really it's fine. It really is not. In some ways, it's the artifice itself is really interesting to look at and talk about. And by the end of the movie, the last hour, he looks like Robert De Niro anyway. Well, and that's in the, the last best part. hour when he's older, yeah. he's wearing prosthetic makeup. He's not. That's interesting because Al Pacino is all digital and De Niro is wearing prosthetic makeup at the end. And it was De Niro that drove the decision to go with this three headed camera. Um, that Rodrigo Prieto had to create so that they have the the uh, they're reading the 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 faces without any actual dots on their faces. So I have to tell you, I so I went. To, that was De Niro. He didn't want all that crap on his face. No, and 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 honestly, it's like that's that's fine. I, like we like I think we can agree that it's, it it worked out okay for everyone. All, all things considered, it could have gone a lot worse. It's not embarrassing for anyone involved. But the thing that I think is is more of a talking point about this movie is whether or not it is as satisfying as you and I are saying it is. I have to tell you, I at New York Film Festival opening night at the party, which we call film prom because it's got everybody and their mother in the New York film scene. I wish I could have been there. But I I heard a wide range of reactions, some of which were as enthusiastic as mine. I said it was one of the best American movies I've seen this year. You know, a, a masterful filmmaker doing what they do best. And I did hear from some people who said they thought it was too long or that they they had issues with uh, the first 90 to 100 minutes or so, and that really only the last hour is, is is what works so well. And I don't know if this is indicative of the life the movie will have, but it does feel like there there is going to be a wider range of reactions in what this initial launch at New York Film Festival might suggest. Well, that brings up another movie that we can talk about. I mean, there, you and I know that there's um, festival reaction and then there's and there's a range a range of reviews that come out of the festivals, and then there's the uh, the second phase uh, when the movie's actually opening, and you have the more thoughtful sometimes, not always. I'm not saying you're not thoughtful, Eric, but 
Um, well, the, usually. The, the print, the print interviews that come in. And so uh, I have to say, um, I'm curious to see, as you are, whether there's a range. Uh, I think the Irishman's going to hold up all throughout and, and through the award season, and it's going to be just fine. Um, I don't think there's going to be uh, a huge backlash on it. I think everyone respects Scorsese and what he accomplished here, um, even if you have a few uh, caveats or, or quibbles. Um, I, I mean, the length, maybe it could have been shorter, but I don't care. I, I took every minute of it um, in stride, and, and I, I regret nothing. Um, but the Joker, Joker is... Uh, a fascinating arc that has occurred that I've never quite witnessed before. Yeah, a few weeks ago we were talking about this movie and and you saw it as, as really having a lot of momentum. And now I I, I mean I'm it's feeling hurt. like it's tarnished. It's, the narrative turned dramatically. And part of that, you know, if you talk to there's a lot of critics who had very mixed reactions to it, but also the conversation around the movie really set the stage for the critical reaction. I agree. And you I look think at that, that New York they, Times I think game. they saw it as overhyped out of Venice and winning the Golden Lion. I honestly believe that that hurt the movie. I swear. I agree. It made somebody feel good for, for a hot second, but it, it didn't. It didn't. It, it, I, it, I mean. It, they should have gone out of competition in Venice the way that Stars Born did and, and, and avoided that conversation. And it's kind of interesting because there's a new administration marketing and production at uh, Warner Brothers that has gone against what used to be a very strong um, allergic reaction to uh, critical praise um, in, in ahead of, of movies opening, in festivals especially, and they've shifted. And I'm not sure they weren't right in the first place. I, I will say, I mean, I appreciate the kind of intensity through which somebody conceived of a movie of Joker almost as a, as a means of addressing the existential crisis of movies, the the challenge of saying something edgy when saying something funny might get you in trouble, I think was not very elegantly expressed by by Todd Phillips. He's not a great spokesperson for his movie. Yeah, he's turning but, people off a so lot. So like there, there's a lot of stuff that's been done wrong. They pulled him out of interviews this week. They didn't have a New York Film Festival press screening. They did a, a very controlled kind of Q&A thing after and this whole anticipatory conversation about violence in the movie, one, there is a conversation we had about whether or not that actually has magnified the, the, the I know. Threat. But also, it, it just feels like it's so much larger than the movie. And they're, they're, they, it's the, the, the studio did not anticipate this does feel like a disconnect on some level. What's really interesting so. is the idea that they wouldn't have made this character-driven, gritty New York drama if they hadn't had the, the, the DC universe to hang on to. And, and even if they did it at a pretty low budget for a studio, 55 million isn't a big, a big budget. But the fact that it is inside a comic book universe is part of why they're getting slammed the way they are. It, it, it's, 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 it's like they, it's like they can't, they can't be both things at once which is weird because i actually thought it was very much a comic book movie i think it's i've talked to people about this who who um i think agree with me to some extent and what's what's sort of enjoyable about the movie is that in spite of it having a gritty 70s new york thriller component going for it it still is very much i think kind of pulpy in a way it does become a villain a villain comic book kind of trope, even though it's being done within a more realistic frame than we're usually seeing it. And they, they have not been able to to draw attention to that. 
uh, in the conversation around the movie. Certainly fans are going to go see it because of that. It's and I think opening be very okay. well. It's opening huge, so. and they're going to do just fine with the box office. But in my, in my awards-centric uh, universe, I have to wonder um, over the long haul what what the academy folks are going to make of this i still think they're going to like it and i still think they're going to uh go well, for it here here's something that that i think is worth getting into as dicey as it sounds i have talked to veteran people in the industry who actually do like this movie i like it with some reservations i've talked to people who said they liked it a lot but they were afraid to say that publicly i spoke to a major filmmaker in attendance at new york film festival opening night who said that this person liked the Joker and did not want to comment publicly about it because it was such a political hot potato. That's an issue. That's an issue because who's going to be the big public advocate for a movie where what by association, you look like the bad guy for championing it. And that's a real danger that this movie is going to face in the week. What, ahead. I think the thing that really is bugging me um, on uh, Twitter is that everybody has their own opinion and, and it's fine by me. Um, but I could certainly see that it had become cool to pile on Joker. And that people were sort of eager to share their outrage with, with the movie. And right. I, just, I just don't think that angle of it would have happened if it had played out differently. Right, if they had just screened it for the first time this exactly. week or something. Yeah, we've talked about that before. I, I mean, one way or another, they have a hit on their hands. I almost wish that, you know, they... they Philip said something like this is not really going to lead into the Batman movie, but I almost wish it, it would on some level because the ultimate response to is Joker kind of celebrating violence would be a continuation of this narrative where Batman becomes a part of it and sets the record straight. I mean, Batman is a hero. Where is the hero in Joker? We don't get the hero in Joker. In some ways, that's very much an encapsulation of the, the moment that we're living through right now. I mean, this is a movie that reminds us Villains are, are real people. They're real-life consequences to violence. I don't really think it's glorifying violence. I think that, to some extent, it's showing us that these things can have unhappy endings, and we have to be wary of that. And I think it's doing it within the context, again, of a kind of a pulpy B-movie. It's it's a little... The, some of the narrative things that happen in this movie are kind of silly, but they, they happen in very disturbing ways. I really love the movie. I went to see it a second time, and you might think that's kind of weird, but I went to see it in a at the premiere with a big audience, and um, I just wanted to look under the hood. I wanted to examine it a little more carefully and, and see if, if I had been you know, seduced by the production values or whether I still bought the Joaquin Phoenix uh, performance or what was good or bad about it, you know, it, under, under a closer view. I really like it still. What I will say is that it is, um, it is a very unpleasant, disturbing movie. And I think that the degree to which it upsets people and gets under their skin is part of why they react to it so negatively. And, and that doesn't mean it's a bad movie. That means that it's a movie that upsets people. Well, first of all, what's weirder? You watching Joker twice or me watching Irishman <laughs> twice in a 12-hour window. But um, It's shorter, I, I mean, dude. It's shorter. <laughs> what can I tell you? I mean, I, I, I'm 
often driven to movies that make me feel unpleasant, whether in a visceral way in terms of the filmmaking style or because of the people they present. Last night I watched Uncut Gems again, and uh, that was in your film festival screening. It played through the roof, and it's an incredibly difficult film to watch from an audiovisual standpoint because it's just very assaultive the way that it's designed. as noisy as it was in Telluride? The mix was better in Alice Tully Hall, but I mean, again, you're talking about a theater that's not always a movie theater, so that's a challenge with this film. I think that what, what's going to be interesting, they were telling me this the other night, is they're, they're trying to get it into, it's a wide release film, they're, they're trying to get into these Dolby cinemas before Star Wars shows up, because it's opening a little bit earlier in December, because you really want to see this movie with the best possible sound. It's But it's but it's so great, and it's so evolving, and Adam Sandler is a terrible freaking person in this movie. You are not rooting for him to succeed. No! On I some level, I don't know. I really do. It's just that it was awfully... Awfully one note noisy. Um, it, I, I would have I would have liked a couple of moments of respite, and I get that that's what it is. It's a nonstop assault, but um, I still think he's amazing in it. And I think what they accomplished just in terms of filmmaking is extraordinary. Um, but I will say this, Eric, that is not a movie I'm going to go see again. <laughs> oh my God, you really should. I'm telling you, it worked. It played so well in New York and they did the after party at Cats and Delicatessen, which was a, a, a master stroke of marketing, as you can imagine. It was sort of like, let, let's take the most like Jewy New Yorky place for this Jewy <laughs> New Yorky movie. You and can say that. <laughs> I can because of my last name. But also, you know what? The, the crowd that turned out was really impressive. You had people like... Chris Rock and uh, like Jimmy Fallon and and all these interesting people came out who were like chasing the Safties around and and there for Adam Sandler, you know, Ben Stiller, Lorne Michaels, and, you know, the goodwill for Adam Sandler, plus the fact that he did this really kind of wild movie. I think it, it, you know, I know the best actor race could be pretty competitive and you got Joaquin and you got uh, Adam Driver, but there's something to be said for the possibility of a nomination for Adam Sandler that is super exciting. I just want to put it out there. It's still, it's, it's got to still be in play. It's right? the best thing he's done in Come ages. On. And I have to say, to the extent that I've engaged with him, I interviewed him in uh, Toronto. Um, I, I really like the guy. I, I, I have to say, I, he, he never made himself available for print interviews. And it was a pleasure uh, to talk to him on the Safdies. I mean, he's uh, charming. He doesn't like to do a lot of that work. interview later. Yeah. Yeah. I think it'll be a, a, a challenge of sorts the question being just how much he goes to matt for this movie I mean, he's already got more you know netflix comedies in the pipeline and stuff and he has nothing to prove in the way that that some oh, actors yes he does i don't know does i mean he you know he's oh he wants to be taken seriously believe me but i think he is everybody wants to be oscar nothing. nominated whether that'll happen in this case listen uh eric i appreciate your um enthusiasm but the reality of the best actor race this year is unbelievable how it's many people are in there and Eddie how many murphy white people are in there by the way murphy, what about Eddie murphy Eddie murphy is a, is a long shot because there's so many people ahead of him i love dolomite is my name i played it for my class and they loved it they applauded at the end so it has a wide audience it has a big it's, this is actually another case of a movie that you can see why nobody would ever make it it took them 16 years to get this thing made murphy was on board the whole time even with murphy it was netflix that got it made no one would do it before netflix yeah you it. can kind of tell why to some degree because it's like as much as eddie murphy's an excited i mean it's a disaster artist kind of a story but it's about a black exploitation figure that not a lot of people know and stuff so it kind of needed 
somebody to take a, a swing on it. But also you have an interesting question there, which is I'm sure Netflix would love to get all the Oscar nominations they can get, but if they can go all in on Marriage Story, they're probably going to go all in on Marriage Story, right? I mean, it's, it could I don't very think well be. They added, have a right? very big team. I mean, what's fast? I'm actually watching what Netflix is doing with Fascination. They have mm -hmm. a huge slate. They have movie. They are going to do so well if you add up Irishman, Marriage Story, Two Popes, Dolomite. I mean. They, they, have, they have a wide range of things. They are pushing them all through these festivals because they don't have enough of theaters for, for, uh, to open them in because the big chains aren't giving them access. So they're, they're doing wide ranges of, like the, the marriage story people are going to Mill Valley and a lot of, they're going to you know Hamptons and Irishman is playing the Hamptons and all this stuff. Anyway, I'm coming into New York. I'm coming into the Hamptons. I'm coming back and I'll see you. And I have to run to yes. go do an interview. We're on a busy Friday. So, so next week I'll find you in New York as, as we get into the last weekend of New York Film Festival and look ahead to the rest of the fall. So okay. have a good weekend and I'll see you soon. soon. Okay, bye.